0: Welcome to the Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Greece is known for its historic ties to the sea, from the Battle of Salamis to its merchant shipping fleet today. As of last year, the Union of Greek shipowners noted that Greece remains the top shipowning nation in the world with approximately twenty-one percent of the global fleet in terms of capacity. When breaking down the story of Greek shipping, two islands stand out, Hios and Inusis. Stephen Tagel joins me to discuss his latest in-depth report from both islands that breaks down how these two islands have come to lead the world shipping industry and how sea trade became Greece's version of the American dream. Stephen Tagel is a fellow from the Institute of Current World Affairs funded by the Stavros Nyarkos Foundation. He previously served as a speechwriter for the U.S. Embassy in Athens and as a Fulbright Fellow in Greece. Stephen, great to have you back on The Greek Current. Hi, Thanos, I Happy to be back. Stephen, ship owners from Chios and Inusas control over 40% of Greek shipping and roughly 10% of global capacity. How did these two islands come to have such an outsized impact on global shipping?
1: I think it has to do with forward-thinking investments at certain communities on Hios and in Inusis, made good business sense, taking advantage of opportunities, and communal effort and sacrifice by specific shipping villages like Cardamila and Vordados and then uh, Inusis as well. Chios has always had a very strategic location between the Mediterranean and the Black Seas and Asia Minor. So shipping and trading for the inhabitants of Chios has always gone hand in hand. They've been profitable and complementary industries since antiquity. And after the massacre of Chios in 1822, many inhabitants from Chios fled to islands like Syros or to Piraeus, and those two places became maritime and trade centers as well. So particularly in Inusis, people began settling the island from Cardamula in the 18th century. And then in the 19th century, they turned towards the sea because they discovered that as the population on the island was growing, you know, the land was barren and rocky and couldn't support the island as it was growing. So they saw the sea as their fertile fields. During the Crimean War, ship owners shipped goods in the Mediterranean and the Black Sea, and that gave them the money to expand their fleets. And by the end of the 19th century, Innusen families owned about 160 sailing ships. One example of these really forward thinking investments was the decision to invest in the transition. From sailing vessels to steam powered vessels. Ship owners from Hyos and Inusis were initially very suspicious of steam powered vessels and didn't begin investing in them until 1889. And in 1905, nine Inusen ship owners banded together to purchase the Marietta Raleigh, which was Inusis's first steamer. And so this was a huge investment that had to be done by multiple families. And as their businesses developed, they began to take on an international scale that expanded beyond Europe and the Mediterranean and really boomed in the post-war era.
0: What has this meant for the Greek economy? You know, particularly as we look at the post-World War II era. So
1: during World War II, the ships from Inusis and Chios were requisitioned by the Greek government and were decimated by German submarines. But during the war, America had mass-produced. A type of ship called the Liberty ship. And this was used to deliver supplies across the Atlantic Ocean to the U.S.'s European allies. And after the war, the U.S. sold 100 of these Liberty ships to Greece in order to help it rebuild its fleets. And these were sold at very, very low prices to Greece and other allies. Ship owners from Chios and Anusis together bought 41 of the 100 Liberty ships. And this was sort of the yeast that they used to rebuild the Greek fleet. And so I was really excited to be able to visit the SS Hellas Liberty, which is docked at Piraeus, and it's one of only three remaining Liberty ships. And so then in the post-war period, maritime trade increased sixfold, and this was largely due to the increased transport of petroleum. We had the Golden Greeks, as they were called, Onassis and Nyarkos, during this period, who made their wealth with oil tankers. And then also, ship owners from Hyos and Anusis have historically invested in the transport of dry cargo. So they invested in bulk carriers, transporting grains, coal, lumber. So... Dry cargo also increased multiple fold in the post-war era, and Greek ship owners built ever larger vessels, first in Japan, then in South Korea and China. And as economies became more global, the growth of Greek shipping was riding on this wave of globalization. And as the Greek fleet has grown, shipping capital has flowed into Greece from abroad, And while it's debatable what percentage shipping contributes to Greece's GDP on the whole, the industry and investments by Greek ship owners have been a significant source of the country's development.
0: Stephen, moving us from Kiosk, you covered some of the most exciting energy developments in the Balkans while living in Alexandropolis, which is becoming crucial for the region's energy security and for diversification away from Russian natural gas. Is Greek shipping set to play a key role in addressing these issues as well? Yes, Thanos.
1: Greek shipowners and Heian ship shipowners are leading the way in the transport of natural gas. Heian ship shipowners, especially, have been investing in LNG carriers since the early 2000s. And Greek shipowners control about one fifth of the global liquefied natural gas carrier fleet. I was also really interested to learn that. Kian and Hios linked companies like the Angelikousis Group, the Livanos family, and the Prokopio Group control a large portion of Greece's LNG fleet. And especially the Livanos family, their company Gaslog, is involved with the Alexandrupoli FSRU project that I reported on when I was in Evros. So both Angelikousis and the Prokopio groups have entered the FSRU market. And in 2021, Procopio also acquired the Scaramangas shipyards near Piraeus, which is a really strategically significant investment, considering that Piraeus is now owned by uh, the Chinese. In total, the capacity of the Greek-owned fleet has grown 45% since 2014.
0: Stephen, you lived on Chios and visited Inusas, meeting people across the industry. How has this relationship with the sea shaped daily life and culture?
1: The history and the tradition of seafaring and ship owning still has a large imprint on the culture of Chios and Inusis. I could see that especially when I went to Inusis for the celebration of Agios Nikolos. He's the protector of seafarers and the patron saint of the island of Inusis. That day, the whole village came out and people came from Athens back to Anusis to participate in the day-long celebrations and to walk the icon and the relic of the saint through the village and to bless all of the schools, the merchant shipping academy, the Coast Guard. From the beginning, when this industry started, it was hyper-local in nature. So these were family businesses, and they remain family businesses today. At the time, they also hired local crews, family members were the captains of the ships, and the crews were people from the village that they knew and could trust. And these people also felt a strong bond and love for their ships. Since the time of the Liberty ships, ships have become much more automated, so they've relied on much smaller crews. It used to be that the entire crew would be Greek. Now the crews are much more diverse, and so there's a little bit less of this sense of a common language, a common bond. In addition, because in the past, men were away for such a long period of time, this created a really unique family situation in the home villages. So many children grew up without really knowing their fathers that much because they would only be back for a few months every two or three years. In that situation, The captain's wife, or the capitanista, was sort of the pillar of the household. She was both the father and the mother. She protected the children, took care of finances, and also was responsible for helping to emotionally support her husband at sea as well. So there was a really strong burden that was placed on her as sort of the, the glue of the family. And that's why when you visit Cardamila or... Uh, Inusis, you'll see that there are statues to the seamen, but also statues to the Inusian mother or the woman of Cardamila, because both of those roles were equally important and they depended on each other in order to keep this industry going. And from these early days, the industry was really built on the sacrifices of the local people from these villages. The captains went away for Years at a time, and they endured loneliness and hard seas in order to provide for their families and to know that the money that they were able to make at sea was much more than they'd be able to make on land. And through their work and their sacrifice, through the loss of hundreds of seamen during the war period and also in the early days of shipping, these communities were able to build up the industry that they have now. And then also, as I was touring Inusis and Cardamila Rodados, you can still see that the ship owners retain a strong bond with their communities. And you'll see monuments and buildings that have been built with the help of different foundations. You'll see the names of Greek ship owners. And these are just woven into the fabric of island life.
0: Stephen, I want to wrap up with an interesting observation you made in your piece. You know, you described this dream of Greek shipping that we saw in the 19th and 20th century that's driven the industry to where it is as akin to the American dream. How are these two similar? And you know, is this still the case today?
1: I think that in the early days of shipping, when the business was local, there was this sense of equal opportunity. Shipping was seen as a way to rise from humble beginnings to the very heights of wealth and status and international recognition. The Golden Greeks had sort of attained these mythic proportions, and it used to be that by starting out working aboard a ship, you would rise through the ranks, become a captain, and then eventually springboard into ship ownership. Ship owners shared information. In the early days, families were able to mimic investments that their neighbors had made, and kind of through the same business practices, they were able to Build their own business. And these families sort of worked in synergy together. They intermarried. So throughout the 19th and 20th centuries, you have the Greek shipping industry coming of age. In addition, a lot of risk was involved as well. So as these Hien shipping companies have grown into global entities that are fueled now by international capital, in some ways, like the American dream. This dream of rising up the ranks and becoming a ship owner has become a little bit less attainable, a little bit more complicated. However, the disruptions of the 20th century created these opportunities for the industry to grow through calculated risks. And I think that the disruptions of war and the disruptions of the, in the energy landscape that we're seeing now are providing similar opportunities. As a result of the financial crisis, a lot of young people are turning back towards the sea when I visited the Merchant Shipping Academy on Anusis, I spoke with the head of the school and some of the students. And it was really interesting to hear how interested young people were, especially in doing educational trips aboard LNG carriers. So I think in a period of real uncertainty, shipping continues to provide a very high standard of living, a dependable income. And now some of the hardships of being at sea for long periods, the lack of technology, these things have been lessened to some degree. So the level of hardship has been lessened a little bit. And so shipping, in a way, it provides a stability and a lucrative income that's really attractive to younger generations now. And as you said in your intro, note, Greeks have the sea in their blood and their ability to improvise, to change course and adapt to the unpredictable demands of the sea serves as a competitive advantage. And I think that's something that we'll continue to see going forward.
0: Stephen, it's been great chatting with you. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Thomas. In other news, the head of Greece's largest opposition party submitted a censure motion against the conservative government on Wednesday, accusing Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis of orchestrating mass wiretaps of political allies and foes. The case, still under investigation by prosecutors, emerged in August when Nikos Androulakis, leader of the Socialist Pasok Party, Greece's third largest, said the country's intelligence service tapped his conversations in 2021. Alexis Tsipras, the former prime minister, said his successor was the mastermind behind mass surveillance of politicians, journalists, and security officials. The Greek government has denied any wrongdoing or knowingly wiretapping anyone. Finally, the world's first factory to produce the new third generation photovoltaics, which can deliver electricity from almost anywhere the sun shines, will be created in Thessaloniki, northern Greece, as part of a major European project. At the same time, a second flagship project is being developed in parallel to upgrade a pioneering laboratory into a frontline research center, turning Greece, and especially Thessaloniki, into a global hub in the field of organic photovoltaics and nanotechnology. The European project for the production plant is called Flex2Energy, with a budget of 21.2 million euro and the participation of 14 industrial and research organizations. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.